When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid. The glory of God was lost. They saw that they were naked and they were afraid. We learn all of this in Genesis chapter 3 in the account of the fall of man. Before the fall, mankind had perfect relationship with the Lord. It was a perfect relationship. They were walking and talking with the Lord. In fact, when, God, when the Lord comes to look for them, when they had fallen and they were hiding and they were ashamed, he came to look for them as if it was one of those kind of regular days. He came walking in the cool of the garden. And, and so that tells us that the prior relationship that they enjoyed was a perfect relationship. But now, Things had changed. They were naked. They were hiding in shame. What happened? What did, what did sin do? Well, there was an immediate breach of the relationship. What happens in breached relationships? If, if nothing is done, that breach results in an ongoing separation. And so there was a separation that happened between God and man. We sing it about it in the songs, the chasm, so far, like, a, like the Grand Canyon. Uh, and, and, and it was just this great chasm, this great breach of the relationship between God and man. But reconciliation is possible. And God, as he stepped into in to, to talk with them on that occasion, he not only brought down the curse of sin that was mandated by the law that God had given them, he also brought about the reality that there would be reconciliation possible in this relationship. And that is what God wanted for mankind, reconciliation. That's what God wants. God doesn't want there to be a breach in the relationship. He doesn't want there to be a gap, a chasm uh, between you and him. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to be reconciled. He wants you to be brought back near from however far, and it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what your name is, doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, God wants to stretch across that chasm and he wants to bring you near, he wants you to be reconciled. But the consequences of sin must be dealt with. And part of the consequence of sin was death. He said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you would die, you will die. And so, when God came and found them, he brought, he spoke with them and he gave a curse. He gave a curse of sin. He brought down a curse on the man, brought down a curse on the woman, mankind, and the serpent, the Nakash. The curse of sin was brought down on Adam and Eve and to every person that would be born of their seed. But God had a plan uh, to deal with this this curse of sin that would now permeate through mankind. We're, we're literally born with the curse of sin. We're born into sin in that, situ, situ, uh, in that way. We're born with the curse of sin upon us. We are born in that sense with a death sentence hanging over us. Again, God had a plan. He would bring a perfect sacrifice that would fully pay the price and deal with the consequences of this sin that had breached this relationship. 
God gave Israel a sacrificial system to deal with their sins, but this was also a type. It was a type, it was a picture of what was promised the person that would one day come and perfectly fulfill this sacrificial system. And that was Jesus. Jesus would present himself for the sins of the world. He would be the perfect sacrifice. We've been going through the, the five Levitical sacrifices. We've been through three of them. Tonight we're looking at number four and we're looking at the sin sacrifice. And the sin sacrifice is really the sacrifice that is about bringing that reconciliation between God and man. We'll see that the sin sacrifice brings about reconciliation with God. So if you're taking notes tonight, let's take a look at Leviticus 4. The sin sacrifice deals with the sin nature. The sin sacrifice deals with the sin nature. Let's pick it up in Leviticus 4, verse 1. It says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally, against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. And he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall take it, all of the fat of the bull, as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. The bull's hide and its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it, it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregations shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and then the bull shall be killed before the Lord." The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar 
of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering, thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, in anything which should not be done, and is guilty, or if his sin, which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his sin offering and, the, and kill the offering at the place of the burnt offering. And then the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burn offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the, the horns of the altar of burn offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. The sin sacrifice deals with the sin nature. We just read through Leviticus 4. Wow, 35 verses, all of it. We've read it. God gave Moses these instructions for this particular sacrifice, the sin sacrifice. Now what this tells us is, and we learn this throughout scripture, we learn that, that everyone sins, right? That, and, we, and Paul tells it this way in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. So everyone sins. 
But I want to be specific with that. Everyone sins specifically against the Lord. Every single person has sinned specifically and knowingly against the Lord. But we also sin unintentionally. So God deals with both types of sin. You see, the sin, the sin sacrifice, the the, the sacrifice of Jesus is perfect. It's not just in one lane or two lanes. It covers the entire bandwidth of every deficiency that mankind could ever have. And one of those deficiencies is that we sin against God unintentionally. We do things unintentionally, but we are sinning against God. And and ignorance of the law is no excuse, as they say, right? Well, I didn't know it was 755, officer. It's just, you were going 75. Well, I didn't know. I thought I was in Utah somewhere. No, you're here in Florida, and it's 55. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, and we sin against the Lord unintentionally. The, the Lord has written, has written his laws upon our hearts and, and in, in, in the conscious of man, and, and, and yet we sin. We sin without intending to. We sin, intention, we sin intentionally and unintentionally against the, the Lord. Now, when you look at the word for sin, sin, uh, well, well, let's tackle it in the, in the New Testament Greek. Uh, the Greek word in the New Testament for sin is the word harmatia, harmatia. And it literally means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And so the best way to look at uh, the, you know, just the word picture of what sin is, is to, uh, well, a while back I had done this whole thing called, and I put it in one of my messages, it was the gospel according to the mall. <laughs> right? And so you go to the mall, yet it's got to be a nice mall because the first stop on this trip is a trip to the Apple store. And you come to the Apple store and you see that apple and what is it? The bite out of the apple, right? That's the whole problem, right? There it is. I don't know if you can see it, but this is the whole problem. There was a fruit that God says you, you can eat of any fruit, but there's a fruit, there's a tree that's in the midst of the garden and you can't eat of it. And so this was the, this was the problem. But then you go to a you go to Target, and you look at Target, and you see that Target, and what sin is, is not only did we eat the apple, but we couldn't hit the Target. We, we fell short of the glory. We, we, we really didn't even hit the, not only did we not hit the bullseye, we didn't even hit the, the Target at all. I mean, you don't have to be off by much, you know, much of a degree of being off in archery, and I don't know a whole lot about archery, but anyways, but, but if you're off just by fractions of an inch, a percentage of an inch, you can be way off the Target, and we were way off. We didn't hit the target. We missed the mark. We missed the mark. We fell short of the glory. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, in Genesis chapter three, they committed sin. And they, so then there was this separation, this breach of the relationship, and they received the curse of sin in their bodies. And this is where we get into what we call the sin nature. There's a curse of sin, and, and there's a, there's, we're under, we, the mankind was under a curse, the curse of sin. We sang it in the song. I don't know if you caught it. We sang, a song, we sang in the lyrics tonight about being released from every curse. And, and, and that's what Jesus has done, because when we sinned, we were under the consequences of sin. We were under the curse of sin. And... So this is where we get into 
the sin nature. This is the sin nature. To the woman, God said, you will, you will greatly increase in childbirth. You will greatly increase in childbirth. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a painful situation. Amen, ladies? It's a painful situation. And that, that pain was increased as a part of the curse of sin. And to the man, the man was told that the ground would be cursed because of the sin and that through hard work and sweat he would eat and that, it would, that the earth would produce thorns and thistles. And now every person from that moment forward was born into sin, born under the curse of sin, with a sin nature in that sense. You say, Charles, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, I want to, the, the best way to interpret scripture is, well, Pastor Chuck used to say that there's this great book that will help you interpret scripture, the Bible. It's called The Bible. <laughs> the best way to interpret scripture is by looking at the rest of all of scripture. And when we go into the Psalms and we look at the life of David, now David did something. David did, you know, David was the king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. He killed Goliath. He ripped a bear in half and did all kinds of great stuff. He uh, was the, before he was anointed uh, as, as the king of Israel, as the next king, you know, they, they were literally chanting songs about how great David was in battle. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And, and David was great. But, of course, there was the incident with Bathsheba. This beautiful woman that caught his eye. He wasn't off in the battle where he probably should have been. And he saw this woman. You know the story. He had her husband put on the front lines of battle where he knew that he would more than likely be killed. And then he took her as his own. And it took the prophet... Nathan, to confront David on this particular sin. And after he was confronted, he was just devastated. He was just ripped apart when he was confronted with this sin. And he wrote a psalm. And the psalm that he wrote, that is his response to the sin that he committed in, with Bathsheba and, and with Uriah, her husband, is Psalm 51. And I want to read just one verse. You can look at it later, but I want to just read one particular thing that David said in that psalm. And it's Psalm 51, verse 5. And I'll actually have it on the screen for you. And I'll have it in the, the New International Version on the screen. It says this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David understood that there was something wrong with man. It was, there was something wrong with him. And he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The apostle Paul talks about battling with this sin nature that we're a part of. 
And in Romans chapter 7, and we talked about this back in the Wednesday night series, there's that chapter, that famous chapter 7, where he's basically talking about, you know, he knows what not to do. The law has made it clear. He knows what he's not to do. And, and, and he says, what I, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, and he knows what the law commands him to do. And he says, what I want to do, I don't do that. So I don't do what I want to do, and I don't not do what I shouldn't do. And, it, and, and, and he's just going bonkers. It's one of those chapters where you read and you go, yeah, I can relate. I can relate. Thank you for Paul writing Romans chapter 7. You know, Paul, I can relate to it. What I want to do, I don't do it. And what I don't want to do, what I know not to do, somehow I do it. And it's just pure craziness. He gets so frustrated with the entire dilemma that man is in that by the end of the chapter, in in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he finally just says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this situation? Right? And so the sin sacrifice was what God instituted to deal with this sin nature, this unintentional sin, this sin when we don't even, like, we don't, like, when you're, when you're just in the bondage of sin, you can just do sin, just, 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 oh, wow, it's just, just, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just caught up in this whole thing. I'm just doing it. Just doing sin. It's the works of the flesh. They just, go on and on. And so the sin sacrifice is what God instituted to deal with this sin nature. The sin sacrifice speaks of Jesus taking upon himself the sins of the world and paying the price for that sin, the sin and the sin nature. The opening verses here in Leviticus 4 tell us that the the sin sacrifice deals with unintentional sin. And like most of these other chapters in Leviticus that we've read so far, that there's like these refrains, right? So there's this pattern where they'll say, if it's this person that comes and, you know, if it's a, if it's a man that's sinned, let him do this. And then it'll go, if it's a priest, let him do this. And if, it's, if the whole nation has sinned, and let them do this and handle it this way and so on and so forth. And so you have this, this refrain, but one of the refrains, and, and I hope that, um, that I, I try to read it when we read, especially these longer passages, um, I try to read it with some emphasis so that you catch those refrains and those points of, of coming back to like the point of what it is all about. One of those refrains is the unintentional sin of, the, of, of what the, the, the sin sacrifice is dealing with, this unintentional sin. With a sin nature... We do not even have to attend to sin and we will inevitably sin. We will inevitably, inevitably, inevitably commit sin. So are you saying, Charles, that, that um, a person is guilty of sin uh, right from when they, you know, like a, a newborn baby, right? Are they like, okay, they're just they're one second old. Are they a sinner? It's like, no, they haven't committed a sin but they're born into humanity that has a curse of sin upon them, and so they will inevitably, unintentionally, 
and intentionally sin. So when you go before God, you won't be able to go, well, I lived my whole life and I sinned, but it was all unintentional, God. Okay? It was all unintentional. I didn't know what was happening. You won't be able to say that. You've sinned unintentionally and you've sinned intentionally. And right here with the sin sacrifice, God's dealing with the unintentional aspect of it. He's dealing with that sin nature, the curse of sin in that sense. And, uh, and so... Jesus deals with this. Jesus is, is, he's the perfect sacrifice. He's all five of these Levitical sacrifices in one. Uh, God needed five sacrifices that had very specific instructions so that it could detail the perfection of the sacrifice of Jesus and what, it, what he actually did and what he actually accomplished for us on the cross. And so here he deals with the sin, the unintentional sin. Uh, now, look, now look at verse three. It makes no difference who sins. They need a sacrifice. It could be just a regular guy, just a regular member of society. You're, you're, you're not, you're just, you know, you're just a, a citizen. You're just a citizen. You're not a priest. You're not a senator. You're not a whatever. You're just, you're just you. It could be you. But it also could be a priest representing the nation. And it could be the entire nation. It could be a regular guy. It could be a priest. It could be somebody important. It could be just a regular person. It could be the entire nation that's doing something. And they don't even know. They're just oblivious somehow. They've just missed it all. They, they're, they're not, you know, they... They, they, the whole nation just fell asleep and went into a stupor, missed the entire word of God, didn't hear the Mosaic law. We don't know what in the world's going on. And the whole nation is just committing unintentional sin. So it doesn't matter if it's one person, a priest, a leader, or the whole nation. There was a way to deal with this sin nature in whoever it was. So that brings us to the second point. The sin sacrifice covers the sin of the individual and of the nation, and of the nation. Verse 13 and 14 indicate that if the whole congregation sinned, the whole nation of Israel, a bull was to be offered as a sin offering. The sin offering, if it was a, if it was a priest who sinned, they would offer a, sacri a sin sacrifice as well. So if it was a priest, if it was an individual, if it was the nation. The sin sacrifice covers the sin of all those, no matter who, who it is. There's a complete covering. He covers the individual. He covers the priesthood. He covers the nation. Now, what's interesting, by the time you get to the New Testament, Peter is then telling us that we're a priesthood, of, we're a priesthood, a holy nation. So, so we're a priest and we're a member of a royal priesthood, the church of Jesus Christ, and that, that priesthood is a, a nation. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at it, God has sent a sacrifice that dealt with the sin nature of you individually, of you as, as, the, as the, the priesthood, and the nation, and the nation. So we see in Scripture in the New Testament, believers are priests of God. 
Now, one of the things we have to understand is that sin has consequences, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And especially we see that sin has grievous consequences, especially if it's an entire nation that sins, okay? And, you know, there's a, there's a proverb that talks about righteousness lifting up, exalting a nation. This idea of righteousness exalting a nation. And, of course, um, a collective sin of a nation is going to be uh, something that brings a nation down. And so there's, there's, there's sins and um, there's sins of the nation. And one of the things that we've got to get a handle on in our nation, the United States of America, is there are, particular, there, there are sins that individuals can commit which seem not to, not, not to really affect too many. I mean, people like, you know, you got your little private sins going on. And then there's sins of the nation that are taking place. And there is a particular sin in the Bible that has grievous uh, consequences for a nation. And that's specifically the sin of shedding innocent blood. In fact, and I don't want to stay on this point long, but I, I can't deal with this, the sin of a nation, without dealing with this. In, when God brought Israel all the way up to the doorstep of the, of the promised land, he gave them warnings through Moses. And one of the warnings was, when you go into the land that I'm going to give you, do not offer your children in the fires offered to Molech. Do not offer your children in the same way as the Canaanites who you're going to drive out. Because if you do, as the land is going to vomit them out, the land will surely vomit you out. And so there's land actually can become sick and corrupt. I actually have a whole video on YouTube on this. It's called Being Pro-Life, the New Green Movement, okay? <laughs> and, what, and, and everybody wants to be green, and we're green, and we're green. Then stop corrupting and defiling yes. the ground yes. of this nation, not with plastic straws, but with the innocent blood of, of innocent lives that is literally corrupting and defiling the land. And where do you get this? Well, let's go back to Genesis. Abel's blood cried out from the earth to the Lord. And Abel is depicted in scripture as the innocent blood. But then the writer of Hebrews picks up that theme and, and says, but there's, there's one that was more innocent that was killed. And it cries out as well. And it's the blood of Christ. So, we, so there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is reconciliation, there is come to Jesus <laughs> and, and be set free from the bondage of sin, intentional or unintentional, or whatever the situation is. But we have got to realize, and, and what I think is missing from pretty much almost every discussion on this particular topic that I see is that the entire point is most of it's completely missed in terms of, especially within the church, because this isn't just, uh, it's not only the murder of a human being, but it is literally not only that, but the shedding of innocent blood 
and defiling the land. And so, um, so we need to pray. We need to pray. And we need to pray for our nation. And we need to just go to the Lord and, and, and continue to be steadfast on that particular point. And again, if anybody has been caught up in, in any sin, doesn't matter what the sin is, there's absolute forgiveness of sin. Not only was there a refrain in this chapter as we read it of the unintentional sin, the unintentional sin, the unintentional sin, but I hope you caught the other refrain, and it shall be forgiven him, and it shall be forgiven him. And that's the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? And so that's something that we have to stand firm on. So there was, there was always, there's, as in any sacrifice, there's always the presentation of the sacrifice. The sin sacrifice, usually a bull or a goat, and some, uh, sometimes a lamb would be brought to the door of the tabernacle. The priest laid his hand on the bull or the, or the goat or whatever it is, and, and it would be killed and sacrificed for that particular sacrifice. I just want to read what one commentator said on the significance of the, of the killing of the sacrifice. He said, we see the laying, on, the laying of a hand upon the sacrifice as a sign of identification with the deadly consequence of sin. Sin kills physically, mentally, morally, and spiritually. The stench of death surrounds everything sin touches. Thus, it was literally our sin placed upon the lamb of God that killed him. Okay, so what I want you to see is this, the, the, the laying the hand upon the sacrifice was kind of this identification that that animal will now be a sacrifice for the sin of that person or the sin of the people represented by that priest. Okay, so the sin in that sense is literally placed upon the sacrifice, the sin of the person, the sin of the people, the sin of the nation placed upon that sacrifice. The question is, if Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he's the sin sacrifice, when was it that the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus? When exactly did that happen? Well, we see this in John chapter 19. Um, And we read that Pilate had Jesus beaten and scourged. Remember, Pilate was trying to basically kind of backdoor out of this whole situation, right? He didn't want really anything to do with it, but also he didn't, he couldn't afford politically uh, to allow a, a huge uh, riot or skirmish to, to uh, erupt surrounding uh, this Galilean preacher. So finally he says, okay, well, let's have him scourge. Of course, his, his wife had been warning him, don't have anything to do with the Galilean. I had a dream about that guy. Don't have anything to do. You know, so he's washing his hands over here in the water and, 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 and whatnot, having Jesus scourged, right? So the, the Roman soldiers uh, beat him, scourge him. You, you see this scene in the Passion of the Christ, right? Um, it's a bloody scene, uh, has everyone seen, have you seen that? Raise your, raise your hand if you haven't seen it. Oh, okay, we've all seen it. Okay. Anyways, I remember when the movie came out and one of the, it was a review and um, the review was, the movie's just too bloody. <laughs> and, and I wanted to write a review of the review. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. Did you read Leviticus? Yeah. 
The blood of the bull shall be poured out on the altar. The blood of the bull, the blood of the goat, the blood of the lamb shall be poured out on the altar. When you look at that scene in, in uh, you know, and it's obviously a movie, but it's depicting what actually happened that we see in John chapter 19 where the scourging took place and the blood is just pouring out of the sacrifice of, of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. He gets back from the scourging and what do the soldiers do? They grabbed a, a scarlet robe and they put a robe on him and they twisted some thorns and they twisted it into a crown and they put a crown of thorns and they pushed it and shoved it down into his head and into his forehead to where the, crown, the thorns, these, 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 these big, huge thorns are just going down into uh, his veins. And so, the, so he's already scourged. The blood's poured out. Now the, the, the blood is just pouring out from every, everywhere, right? And he's got this scarlet robe upon him. Now I want to take you just for a second back before we completely answer the question. I'm going to take you back to the garden and the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, I'll actually have it up on the screen. God, this is what God said. He said, because, this is what he said to Adam. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. So all the way back in Genesis 3, we have the, the curse of sin being brought down. And specifically what he spoke to Adam. The ground is cursed, and you're going to eat, you're going to toil, you're going to work hard, you're going to work the ground. You're not just going to go over here and tend little trees and eat, you know, sit in waterfalls and pomegranates and whatever. Okay. You're going to be out there in the field and there's going to be thorns and thistles. And now we fast forward all these thousands of years and here we have this moment of Jesus returning from an absolute scourging. A scarlet robe put around him and thorns shaped into a crown put on his head. It was literally at that moment you have the sin of the world placed upon Christ. The scarlet robe picturing the, the, the scarlet sins of humanity and the literal representation of the curse, the thorns placed upon his head and he was literally crowned with the curse of sin. And so you have at this moment, there, there, there's an irony here. There's an irony. One songwriter put it this way. The Rose of Sharon. In the, in the Bible, the Lord is referred to as the Rose of Sharon, right? The Rose of Sharon wore a crown of thorns that day. Another way to look at it is through the very curse of sin that produced the thorns and death. Jesus took upon himself those sins, the, the literal curse. Jesus' humility is seen in this. The thorns caused by our sin are now a crown upon Jesus' head. He came and humbled himself to deliver us from the curse, and now he literally has the curse placed upon him. 
it can be seen no clearer than this. Jesus, the king of heaven, with the crown of the curse upon his head. So Matthew's gospel calls the purple robe the soldiers put on Jesus a scarlet robe. Matthew 27, 28, it says this, speaking of the soldiers, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And so scarlet depicts the blood of Christ and our sin. We see this theme picked up by Isaiah the prophet as the Lord speaks in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so Jesus was literally at that moment, that, that moment in time, you th think of it as being like this simple uh, moment where this, he's being mocked, right? But he's literally covered with our sin and the curse of sin. And so he dealt with it. Christian, that's what we have to understand. That's what we have to see in this sin sacrifice, that he dealt with the sin of the world. He took it upon himself. We can only imagine. I remember there was a song we used to sing. I'll never know, right? We'll never know what, how much it costs to see, to see the Lord, yeah, the sin of the, the world put upon Christ. Jesus was covered with our sin and he dealt with the sin nature on the cross. Which brings us to our closing point. The sin sacrifice brings reconciliation. The sin sacrifice is the sacrifice that brings reconciliation with God. Look at Leviticus 4, verse 20. It says this, And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull, it is a sin offering for the assembly. The, just like the peace offering that we discussed last week, the entrails. Remember last week we were talking about the entrails and all the fat, the fatty lobes of the liver and the kidney, and all of it. And so the entrails were taken out of the sacrifice, the same as with the burnt sacrifice and the, and the peace sacrifice. But the head and the carcass with the legs of the sacrifice were to be taken outside the camp and burned there. So this was a kind of a, a, this was something different about this sacrifice. So you had the entrails that were, that were put in the same way upon the altar as the peace offering, right? But then the, the, the head and the carcass with the legs of the sacrifice were taken outside the camp and burned there. And so you have a parallel to when Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, Jesus was scourged inside the city, inside the city walls, and he was crucified outside the city. Golgotha, even if what, what, whichever uh, uh, location you, you pick was outside the city to the north. Remember, we saw that in the, the burnt sacrifice, the bird was to be uh, wings put apart you know, on the sides of the north, right? So we have that idea of on the north, outside the city walls. So Jesus literally fulfilled every detail of all the sacrifices, specifically here, the sin sacrifice. But look at verse 35. The, verse 35 tells us the sin sacrifice's purpose. And he shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according 
to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So we see the purpose of the sin sacrifice, to make atonement, to make atonement. The Hebrew word for atonement is a word that you should be familiar with. But I was thinking about it sometimes when I'm working or I'm driving around and I'm thinking about a lot of this stuff that we're going through and I'm like, you know, yeah, we're, I'm explaining atonement on a regular basis. I hope everyone's not getting bored with that, you know? These are, these, are, these are just random thoughts that pop into my head, you know? But yeah, but I'm thinking about atonement and the word for atonement in the Hebrew, kapur, which means to cover or smear. And it's this idea of the covering of sin. We see the covering of sin when Adam and Eve sinned and, and God uh, killed those animals and, and, and covered them. There was a blood sacrifice and the sin, the, 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 the skin the skins of those animals covered them and covered their shame, right? So we see the, the, the precursor of the, of the atonement, uh, this idea of covering, the idea of covering sins. We see this in the word for atonement in the Hebrew. But when you get over into the New Testament Greek, uh, you, you have a, a word in the Greek for atonement, and it is the word catalage. The New Testament word for atonement is the Greek word catalage, which not only means atonement, but actually means to reconcile. So there's this idea of to cover, to smear, to cover, but to reconcile. And so the Apostle Paul explains the benefits of Jesus' work of the atonement and the reconciliation perfectly in Romans chapter 5. I will actually have these verses up on the screen behind me, but I want, I want you to catch this. This is what Paul says. For if when we were God's enemies, when we were enemies, We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. If you have the NIV, I believe it says reconciliation. I believe if you have the NKG, it says atonement there. There's this idea of atonement and reconciliation. To make atonement for him, to reconcile. And then it says in Leviticus 35, 4.35, and it shall be forgiven him. And it shall be forgiven him. So the sin sacrifice dealt with the sin nature, the curse of sin, the unintentional sin, the sin of the individual, the sin of the leader, the sin of the nation. And it covers. When applied to you, it covers. And it reconciles. Amen? And thank you, Jesus, that the reconciliation, that we can have reconciliation with God. Amen? And that's exactly what the sin sacrifice accomplishes for you. (laughs) 